This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Joyce Teo. Last week, Singapore's Health Minister Ong Yi Kang said that the country is working towards a model where each resident will see one regular GP or polyclinic doctor for all his care needs. This doctor will work out a personalised care plan to help nip diseases in the bud and keep her or him out of the hospital for as much and as long as possible. This is called the Healthier SG Strategy. And with this strategy, Singapore will shift from focusing on illness-based hospital care to a more sustainable way of preventive care. It's a major healthcare initiative and many details need to be worked out. What we now know is that from next year, and that's 2023, each resident will be invited to enroll with a primary care doctor, such as a GP, to work out a personalised care plan at the start. So to help us get a rough sense of the changes ahead and how they might affect us, we have Zhang Associate Professor Tan Zili. He's a family physician and is the president of the College of Family Physicians, Singapore. Hi, Prof. Good morning, Joyce. Hi. So the health ministry said that they will be inviting residents to enroll with the GP from next year, right? Mm. So tell us how this move will affect the residents here. So let's start with somebody who is, you know, younger in his 40s, and then we can move on to somebody who's older. Well, I think one of the things that allows for the resident to have is actually someone whom they can refer to as their family doctor, someone they can go to regularly. They get to choose who they would like to see and they would commit to seeing them for a period of time. For most people around about that age, you know, they would have their company-appointed doctors and things like that. Uh, so I'm not sure how that will work around, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, once you are given this opportunity and you are able to choose, then you can stick with one uh, family doctor. So if we actually look at the healthcare landscape today, uh, you'll find that already we have many, many initiatives by the Ministry of Health and its various uh, agencies to do uh, health screening. So one of the things that comes to mind is uh, the Screen for Life uh, program uh, that's run by the uh, Health Promotion Board. So a lot of the screening actually starts quite early on. You know? So for example, for women's health or pet smear, it's like 25 years old. There are things like mammogram for them, things like chronic disease screening like for cholesterol and blood pressure and diabetes and uh, checking of the weight. And these all happen around 40 years old. Uh, going uh, further on, you know, then we go and look at things like uh, checking for uh, colon cancer with stool tests and colonoscopy at age 50. Now, as I mentioned, uh, these schemes are already in place, but at the moment it's very ad hoc. It is very dependent on whether the patient comes to see a doctor to actually have this checked. And uh, when a patient uh, episodically comes to maybe see for another problem, you know, we use the opportunity, opportunistic opportunity to encourage them to do these tests. Is it something like Screen for Life then? Except that now the GP would actually ask you to go for it. He would schedule you for it. Ah, so basically, let's say you've got a Screen for Life, you have vouchers, and you go 
to A or B or C or D or E to use the vouchers or you don't. So that is the current situation as it is. Sometimes you don't even know you have the vouchers. It might be in an envelope somewhere on your desk and you have no idea about it. But once you actually have got a family doctor, you say, okay, I'm going to see Dr. X or Dr. Y. And then when Dr. X or Dr. Y has been chosen and of course you come for a scheduled visit, then Dr. X, Dr. Y will click on his computer and says, hey, you know, you've got these things are uh, that could be done. And it's really very uh, well supported by the government. It wouldn't cost you an arm and a leg. Do you want to do it? So then you have somebody who's actually looking to, to making you aware of uh, what you need to do or what you could do and uh, whether or not you are uh, supported by this with uh, government support. And so it's basically, it's, it's, it's a matter of somebody actually helping you, looking over your shoulder, giving you guidance, helping you to make that journey. Whereas right now, it's very uh, DIY, screen for life, for example. Once we see a patient and we've done the screening, then uh, we actually need to see them again to review them so mm -hmm. that we can uh, mm -hmm. tell them, is this a good result? Is this a borderline result? Is this a result that needs attention or urgent attention? So there is a, there is a head and there's a tail to it. So we already do review all our patients who do Screen for Life. Uh, but as I, as I mentioned uh, earlier, it's very opportunistic. Patients either come because they're aware and they want to do it, or when they come for other problems, the doctor makes the patient aware that they have this opportunity and it is done. So you can extrapolate that there will be many occasions when they don't come to get it done or they don't, don't get reminded that they actually have this done. So there, there, there are huge gaps. I see. So what about somebody who's 70, who's already you know, going to the polyclinic or hospital for his medications and regular checkups? And also, does that mean that they have to switch to this new plan? How does it work? There will be patients who see the polyclinics or hospitals. Uh, quite a number of them do, but I think it's also important to remember that, uh, that there are significant numbers of patients who actually see private doctors private GPs for their chronic disease requirements. And they do this uh, with respect to using CHAS because they may qualify for the Pioneer Generation, Majorca Generation or CHAS cards, which uh, gives them some support. They also use their Medisafe to help to pay for the chronic disease treatment. Uh, for these groups, being offered this new initiative would probably come with some incentives. Uh, some incentives that are, are sufficiently attractive for them to actually take it up. Uh, we have found, uh, looking at uh, other jurisdictions, whereby take-up rates have been very high because the, the incentives for joining are so huge that uh, it, uh, it became very popular. Of course, if you are in a hospital or a polyclinic and you have already your set doctor's treatment uh, plans in these places, right, these public health institutions, they will still be offered this scheme because I understand that uh, uh, the polyclinics will also be in a position to, to offer some of these uh, uh, benefits. So the question ultimately is whether or not you can keep them out of hospital because it is in hospital treatment and follow-up and management of complications where the healthcare cost increases have been quite large. So if we are successful in this initiative to uh, prevent the need to uh, utilize hospital uh, facilities, uh, then we have succeeded.
So for this group, right, what difference does it make? Well, I mean, basically, if you are seeing uh, in a polyclinic, uh, I think the polyclinics are doing a great job. They, they have uh, various initiatives now. They operate in, for chronic disease. They operate in teamlets. They are sets of teams and to take care of their patients. They are very well um, funded. But, uh, and so they are already, already in some way, some of the uh, things that they provide are already like similar to this. Um, I suppose this I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to speculate because I'm not privy to the information. I would imagine there will be certain incentives built in uh, that would encourage them to stay. At the moment, if you actually have got a patient, let's say in uh, uh, one polyclinic, they could go to another polyclinic and see. But because uh, the polyclinics may be linked, they would still be uh, managed uh, similarly. Uh, because they have a shared uh, health record. Uh, the, the whole idea at the moment is whether or not we can have one single health record for all patients across the island. That is an aspiration. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. You know, if you're already going for screening, you already have your regular checkups, you know, what difference does this make? The situation is that nobody has a designated family physician that for which there's funding for at the moment. The clinic uh, may uh, call them up for their appointments and things like that, but patients do fall through the cracks. So the thing is that if the patient says, I choose clinic A or clinic B or polyclinic C or so on, uh, then we have an obligation actually to follow them up. So it is a it's a responsibility both ends. The chosen clinician or clinic uh, has an obligation to take care of the patient, and the patient uh, has an obligation to go back to the same clinic. Right. So, Prof, what are the key challenges for GPs? Then? Well, I think uh, uh, the first thing is, of course, will they be able to handle this load? I'm quite confident that they will, because we've seen uh, over the past two and a bit years, uh, uh, what with COVID and so on, and the challenges that come with that, you know, that uh, our Singapore doctors are robust and quite organized. So they will be able to handle the load, I would imagine, yes. Yes, like even with uh, COVID, right? I mean, the, I understand the GPs are quite strapped. So can, you know, how is it like, like managing the usual load, you know, people coming for flu and diarrhea, etc., and then having to do this screening consultations? Oh, I think, I think basically uh, uh, COVID, COVID will not last forever. I mean, to be honest, even though you have COVID, it doesn't mean that your diabetics, your hypertensives, your uh, patients with chronic illness suddenly disappear. They, they don't. Even though we have to manage an increased workload with respect to actually having to handle COVID patients and having to do the swabbing and all these things, even with all these additional um, responsibilities. Uh, and yet, we're still able to take care of our patients to make sure they uh, do the eye checkups, do their feet checks and... Uh, do their blood tests, advise them on their uh, lifestyle modification, exercise, weight loss, uh, all the things that we would normally do for a patient with a chronic illness like diabetes. We still do them. Our patients don't disappear. I have no doubt that uh, our GPs will be able to handle uh, any additional load. In fact, um, what we are actually doing is actually giving patients and doctors an opportunity to form long-standing, meaningful therapeutic relationships, uh, they should uh, have much, much better outcomes going forward so that you have less complications. Less complications means less intervention required in the future. Less complications means 
less uh, admissions to hospital and the associated costs. Right. So, Prof, but for GPs, it will mean extra load, right, that they have to take on. We are not doing national service, if you know what I mean. Even if we do national service, uh, if we get served at SAF 100 to go and do in-camp trading, even when we are doing in-camp trading, uh, the Ministry of Defence actually helps to pay our salary. We can claim for our, we can claim for our salary. So, so in this sense, we are not actually doing uh, national service where we are doing it for free. You know, we are not doing it for free. Saying that many times, a lot of our doctors, a lot of GPs actually do things uh, without consideration for cost. So I have to say that uh, I'm very proud of our doctors. <laughs> Many of them are very self-sacrificing and they do a lot of things for their patients. Uh, but uh, we have expect increased load, but the increased load is actually a result of a program for which there is funding for patients and doctors to form better relationships. I see. Sounds good. But how about the, what about the medications? Uh, as you know, not all GPs will carry the full range of medications, right? You know, for chronic diseases. These are discussions in progress. I am confident that we will be able to find a tenable solution for this uh, for everyone. The bugbear for most, in fact, for many, many people, you know, uh, for patients and doctors, is actually the cost of medication. So I, I believe they are looking at that and uh, we should be able to find some way to mitigate those, uh, those concerns. Uh. Right. Patients who are under the pension medical benefits scheme, will they be able to enjoy the same benefits under the new plan? Oh, the civil service card holders. You know, um, my mom is a retired uh, school teacher. She was retired school principal. So she has one of these wonderful cards. And basically, uh, they are uh, not many people have them now because they were phased out a long time ago. So uh, you'll find that those who actually have the civil service cards are generally older. And so they can access... Uh, healthcare from public health institutions uh, uh, using that card. So uh, I'm not sure about the spe specifics of how that will work out for them. But, you know, just like all civil service card holders also have are given pioneer generation cards and so on. So I would imagine that uh, the CSC holders will probably, would very likely be also offered this uh, opportunity. But I, I just wonder, you know, that they may already have their family doctor, you know. Prof, the details are being worked out, right? But how long will it take, you know, before we can see the results from this strategy of making GPs the anchor of Singapore's healthcare system? Oh, well, uh, the aim is to to start the ball rolling in 2023. That's what I've been told. Um, I can share with you that we have been discussing this not just these few months. We have actually been looking at this for many years, many years. And uh, uh, many study groups have actually looked at this at various systems everywhere. And the devil is in the details. Uh, we are actually being consulted uh, widely on this, both now and going forward. I can imagine that the number of work groups looking at this will, uh, will be many and the meetings will be often and we will try and work out something so that uh, we'll be able to look at something more concrete in 2023. So is this healthier SG strategy model after like a system in a particular country? For example, the UK with their NHS, uh, New Zealand, Canada, and these countries, they, I think Holland as well. I mean, the Netherlands. These are, country, these are countries who actually have got uh, GPs with their list of patients that they take care of. They are similar and yet they have their own distinct characteristics. So uh, each one has their strengths and some weaknesses. So we basically try to look at a lot of examples and we weigh up their 
strengths and weaknesses and we try and take the best. I see. So Prof, what would you say is the key challenge with such a program? Would it be, say, you know, a matter of like encouraging people to actually go on this? Well, um, you have to convince two groups of people. The first group of people you need to convince, of course, is the population, are the residents of Singapore. So it's like um, when Charles was first introduced with their blue and orange card, the, um, the take-up rate was, was, was not bad, but of course it could be better. And uh, once uh, it became more commonplace, you know, the, and became more, uh, more accepted. Then you found that, ah, people, uh, realized that this was, uh, something good to have. So you, you find that the take up rate for Charles was, was, uh, pretty good. When Pioneer Generation uh, and Madaka Generation came out, everyone was given E, uh, regardless of whether or not they had applied. They were just given the card. And that gave it a great bump. And you find that with the tremendous take up rate, for these uh, schemes, uh, it was fairly uh, easy for the doctors to come on board, which comes to the next point uh, about the second group. And so the second group that, of course, uh, needs to come on board is the primary care and family medicine uh, fraternity. So the, the GPs and the FPs also will need to come on board and support this in order for it to work. I see. So are you excited about it? Oh, I'm very excited because uh, uh, I've seen uh, over the years, uh, you know, when um, the take-up rate was so high amongst the Pioneer Generation when it was announced and everyone started to have these incredible PG cards and they were using them, right? And, and that was driving their behavior to go to doctors who had, uh, who were actually registered to provide care under the CHAS and PG cards. So when that happened, the numbers of doctors who actually signed up were huge. So I would imagine that uh, all this is good for the patient. Uh, we still need to work out the details as to the requirements that we would need to fulfill in order to uh, take care of our patients properly. But if you actually look at it, it's not something that's out of the ordinary or onerous. It's really part of your normal job that you would have done anyway, except that in this case, you actually have committed to take on the patients that you are able to take on. I have also been asked, how many do you think uh, each doctor will have? I, I have no idea. Nothing is written in stone. We are still, it's still work in progress. Is the first consult for, you know, like a consultation for a basic screening program? Let's say you decide to come in CB. Mm-hmm. And then you sign up and uh, and then after that, hey Joyce, you know, how have you been, blah, 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 you know, I take a history from you, uh, find out your uh, risk profile, do some uh, preliminary uh, assessment of your blood pressure and so on, and realize that you haven't done a blood test, say, in a couple of years or three years or four years, you are that uh, age, then we are offering certain types of tests. Or maybe, you know, and it says, yeah, you know, it's about time for you to do this. Would you like to schedule an appointment? Let's say, for example, somebody else comes and tells you, you they have a problem. Maybe one fine day, they are coughing, 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 and they cough out. They find there's cough, there's blood in their sputum or something like that. Or they have recurrent nosebleeds. Uh, then these tests uh, would not address those concerns. So that's when you start to say, oh, I need to check you for this and that. And then once you check, if those are clear, then you can say, oh, this is just something not very serious. But if you find something else, and that's the time when you would say, I need to refer you to see somebody in hospital. So when I, once I refer you to hospital, okay, because the patient is now attached to me, they will take care of the patient and then they will 
engage us to help to manage them in the community, they will send a reply back to the referring doctor. I see. And we will be a partnership with the hospital to take care of this patient going forward. We are part of a team. So the team encompasses the GP clinic, the community services, the hospital, the regional hospital, their services, and so on. So we, we're now looking at really integrating the whole healthcare system so that we, we, you don't see us as separate, you see us as one. Right, interesting. So you'll be plugged into the public system. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You plug, you, you plug into a public system. So it'll be a private-public collaboration, if you like. I see. Okay, so it's something, but it's something that you can choose not to join. Of I course. Guess. Nobody forces you to do stuff, you know, but of course. Yeah, because some people are not interested. So. No, some people may not be interested. So, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's a matter of a choice. So the aim of this is really prevention. Prevention is better than cure. And that's what we're looking for. Mm. Prof, thanks for your time today. Most welcome. Thank you very much for, the, for giving me this opportunity to have a chat with you. Yep, thanks for helping us understand this healthier SG strategy. You're very welcome. You have a good day. You too. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Street Times Health Check, like us and give us a rating. Thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.